Hello there and welcome back once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. It's not just going to be my voice you're hearing today, you'll be happy to know. Uh, of course, chatting now is Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. We've thrown out a few previews podcasts, we had a lovely interview podcast, we'll move on to a little bit later, but we are back with reviews. So I'm delighted to be joined once again by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am glad to be here, Alan. Glad to be here. It has been uh, a fair wee while since we have had the chance to sit down together and do a uh, and do a reviews podcast. Um, just one thing and another for both of us, really, wasn't it? We're both just we've just both been flat out with uh, with life stuff and, and work stuff and and, and uh, you know all of that stuff that sort of gets in the way. Oh, big time, yeah. I mean, it's uh, obviously from my own point of view, we had free comic book day during that period, which was ridiculously busy. It just free comic book day requires a lot of planning, a lot of maintenance, a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into it, but the rewards were definitely there this year. We were so, so busy, you know, queue out the door for a few hours and loads of people come out to support us, loads of new faces, lots of younger readers. It was it was worth every little bit of effort and then that's led to the store being busy. I have a couple of projects going on the side that I can't talk quite so much about at this moment. Um, I mean, you know, but that doesn't mean everybody else has to. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've just been yeah flat out. And again, yeah, just the, the store's been keeping me busy as well. How about yourself? You, you've been a man of, of travel for the last month or so. Yeah, I've been all over the place. Um, I guess kicked off in July with the first Standall Festival, um, uh, the, the, the the largest outdoor uh, camp and music festival in Northern Ireland, which I'm involved in in a number of capacities. They had a second festival in August for a larger capacity, um, so that just took an awful lot of time. And then following that, I was able to take a wee bit of, in addition to traveling back and forth, and you know, uh, my my partner was was down Dublin direction and Cork direction, so there was a bit of bit of moving about there uh, with her work. Um, but then I got some annual leave from work, and I was able to get over to Suffolk in England to attend Red Rooster Festival for the first time. It's a it's a small cap festival, uh, sort of Americana, Cajun sort of music, uh, bluegrass sort of stuff. And it was really nice just to be at a festival where nobody knew you and you could just appreciate the music and kick off random conversations with the folks. So it was, it's was. it been an absolutely manic month or six weeks even. Um, I've I've hardly seen you, hardly been through the door of the shop. And there's a couple of Wednesdays that I haven't been able to pick up my pull list. I'm actually starting to get caught up i uh, i broached my first september releases today uh you know and given that it is the 14th of september that means i'm precisely two weeks behind with new comic book day tomorrow but uh yeah i've been doing doing a lot of reading the past uh, past week or so and and really getting caught up some good quality stuff yeah, loads of good quality stuff, obviously, for us to chat about tonight. And we're going to, you know, keep the format uh, pretty similar to start here. We're going to go through some of the sort of comics, TV, movie news, bits and pieces to to chat about. But we'll, we'll let you in on the uh, the secrets of the reviews uh, format a little bit uh, after we get chatting here. But no, yeah, plenty to cover. Despite all that, you know, busyness, we, we certainly have managed a few different things. And uh, what the first thing I have to bring up, actually, I'm moving slightly off script here, I suppose. But, you know, it was great to see another Marvel movie drop into the cinema. And I made time to go and see it. You made time to go and see it twice. Absolutely. Yeah. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, so, yeah, I got to see it. Uh, got to see it once uh, whenever I was down in Dublin because, you know, I sort of wanted to go and see it on release day uh, before everybody started chatting about it. And uh, then I got to see it with uh, a couple of store regulars, uh, Stuart and Martin, for the second time. And uh, first time round, actually, we were sort of late, so we missed the first five minutes. So it was nice to get in to see it a second time. 
um, for sure. What did you reckon on it? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I went into it with uh, slightly higher expectations because you had spoken very highly about it. Stephen had said it went like towards the top of his really, really quickly. I mean, I enjoyed it. It wouldn't quite crack my top 10. But as as I said, obviously, we have our little group chat and all this. As I said in that, that wasn't really a hit on the quality of the movie. That was just a sort of... Uh, more of a, a positive thing on the, the quality of that top 10, I suppose. It was very, very entertaining. It was loads of likable characters. There was good humor, great fight choreography, some great action sequences. A few things that bugged me a little bit about it, but there there's things that are present in all Marvel movies now, so I should really just stop complaining about them. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's whether we go into spoilers or not, I suppose. I don't want to spoil It's only been out for just over a week now, so I don't, I don't want to quite jump into spoilers, but um it, it's up to you whether you want to you know throw a warning out there and chat spoilers well i mean uh, yeah, it's a review show well spoiler warning spoilers that's imminent that's fair you know and it, it allows me to jump on my you know angry old man yelling a crowd you know moment which you know everybody loves to hear a bit of but yeah spoilers for shang chi coming up so uh flick it forward a little bit if if you don't want to hear any but the thing is with it I love Tony Lang as an actor. He's one of my absolute favorite actors. And they created this brilliant villain in the Mandarin, or whatever you want to call him, I suppose. And then they kill him in one movie. Just stop doing this, Marvel. Stop creating good villains and killing them. Just learn something from Loki. You see the way you've been able to drop that guy in the other movies? You know, because it was just at that point of redemption. He was about to have at the end. He had seen the error of his ways. He was about to reconnect with his children. And then they just kill him. And it's like, oh, come on. Stop it. Don't forget, Alan, we now have a multiverse. Well, a variant of him could show up at some <laughs> point, but, you know, I suppose we'll see. But the other thing that, that sort of bugged me a little bit about it, and again, this is true of a lot of Marvel movies, but there's just such a such a lackadaisical attitude towards killing. And a lot of Shang-Chi is wrapped up in when he was sent out at 15 to go and kill someone who was responsible for his mother's death and this kind of thing. And they make this big deal about whether he would kill or not. See, when they were on that scaffold, and he must have sent at least 15 to 20 henchmen to their death from 60 floors up. So d- don't be giving me any uh, <laughs> don't be giving me any guilt about killing people. You've, you've killed a bunch of them just because they're faceless doesn't mean they're not real people. Well, you know, there's there's a point at which you go, that was self-defense. <laughs> that was that was that was, you know, these these people were were, were trying to kill him. So, uh, you know, him and, and, his, and his, his friend and, his, you know, his sister. So. You kind of go, well, I'm sure he did his best, but at the end of the day, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he that's could have ran away. He, he yeah. could have been like, you know, Batman in 1989, Batman, just run away from danger, just don't run, embrace it. But, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 just, uh, it, but the, the difference, I guess, there is his father sent him out to assassinate someone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, those yeah, are, that's in fair. my mind, those are, those are two different things uh, for sure. But no, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Exactly what you said, you know, just good fun. Uh, Marvel have, you know, have done a great job. Finally, uh, you know, we have a, a movie there that is a, an almost entirely Asian cast, uh, which was just great to see. Um, I thought, I thought, uh, you know, the, the Shang-Chi was played, played very well as a, like a, a younger Shang-Chi character than, than in the, the comic books. Not quite, hasn't quite developed the wisdom of the Shang-Chi in the, in the comic books and, uh, and uh, but yeah, the, the 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 kung fu was class. I thought the bus scene was brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever he, he he reveals kind of his his skills in the open. Um, yeah, there was some good good stuff in there. Some good links back to uh, you know the previous Marvel movies and and also some very cool stuff going forward. 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, one of the things I did really like about it is that it it veered away from that tried and tres- tried and tested trope of someone not knowing their past and then something awakens in them and they suddenly you know what I mean when he starts fighting in the bus you thought this is going to be like a reflex type thing but it was nice that it was revealed that when he was younger he made the choice to run away he tried to set up his new life he tried to live an easy life as opposed to what was expected from his father and I really really like that rather than it just being the old oh you don't know about your past uh you know you're going to find out about it and muscle memory kicks in that kind of thing but yeah no it was a gorgeous looking movie as well i mean beautiful mm. cinematography it, it went to some interesting places again i'm a sucker for anything set in san francisco it makes me think of ant-man i, I think yeah, san francisco yeah. is such a beautiful backdrop for anything um his his father's 10 rings the 10 rings of the title the 10 mm-hmm. rings of the that the, the, from which the the group got their name uh, where one of the coolest uh, artifacts that have yet appeared in the Marvel Universe uh, as a as a, a weapon used both uh, offensively and defensively, and you know with regard to movement and getting around, those were those were really really cool. Uh, did you not think? Oh, very much so. And as if they weren't cool enough, you then have that really good mid credit scene where they talk about how they predate, you know, the planet and, you know, where did they come from and the mystery and so forth. So there's definitely more to explore there as well, which is really, really cool because I think a lot of people were thinking this movie was going to be like a standalone movie, which to a degree it is. It works on its own, but it's definitely setting some stuff up for, for moving forward mm-hmm. as well. I, I- I do, I do think so. I wonder whether or not there's a link to the Eternals in there, mm-hmm. you know, because any link that, you know, it's going to be difficult to link the Eternals in there, but these things are thousands of years old. So, uh, and I thought it was a really interesting, obviously the 10 rings referred to, you know, the rings of the 10 rings of the Mandarin, which were uh, rings that uh, the Mandarin uh, were brought to earth by uh, the dragon, Fin Fang Foom, uh, who's an alien, an alien dragon. And the, the Mandarin then, um, got a hold of these and they all do different things i can't remember there's one that's you know shoots cold or ice there's one that shoots fire there's one that shoots dark force there's one that you know they all do different things in fact that's only three of them and there's 10 of them i can never remember so i thought it was cool that they what they did with those 10 rings how they changed them for the for the cinematic universe mm-hmm. in the same way as they have kind of changed the the mandarin-esque character uh you know who you know that is links to iron man 3 and all of that cool stuff so so yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Lot, lot going on, and uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing where we're going next. Eternals is November, right? Mm-hmm. We've got Eternals towards the end this year. We've got Spider Man coming. We've got Venom coming. Well, I've talked too much about that. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's plenty of good looking things ahead, and I think the final word for Shang Chi though has to go to the undoubted MVP of the whole movie, Wong. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean very fleeting appearances. But brilliant appearances. Uh, and that whole thing, you know, the the Wong, uh, the surprise abomination appearance, the, you know, the, the the appearances that we saw in the mid credits scene nearly felt a wee bit more Defenders esque than mm-hmm. Avengers esque. Uh, so there's there's something interesting going on going on there. But yeah, very very good movie. I would I would uh, be nipping out to see it again. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's uh, Shang-Chi. We we had the trailer drop as well for Hawkeye, which, uh, much to Mr. Miller's joy, is mainly set at Christmas uh, in September <laughs> and seems to have inspired a few too many people close to us to be talking about Christmas at this point. Uh, what is wrong with people? <laughs> but the trailer was great. I mean, I, I don't have loads to say about it other than I saw Pizza Dog and I saw the Tracksuit Mafia. That's enough for me. I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're looking at, you know, Fraction, Adja, that sort of era um and it seems to have that sort of tone as well mm-hmm. 
at least much. it's reflecting that that sort of tone. So, uh, and obviously Kate Bishop in there. Um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that series. Really looking forward to that series. And you mentioned to me just now that Black Widow has been released on Blu-ray. Yeah, it came out uh, yesterday, so it did. So Monday, thirteenth September. I think we're we're both surprised at the turnaround for that, but. I mean, I love Black Widow at the cinema. You know, it's I've had chats with a couple of guys in story, and obviously, Chang Chi and Black Widow are the two most recent movies. And for me, Black Widow jumps into sort of the top five or six. But I'm a sucker for the spy genre in general, and and maybe as well, Black Widow was the first one we were able to see in the cinema for quite some time. So mm-hmm. jumped up high for me. Picked it up today and uh, on 4K. Definitely looking forward to another rewatch. I'd actually consider going to see it in the cinema a second time, but I think it was out of the cinema within like three weeks or something, two weeks. Yeah, I saw even. it a couple of times. Um, same as same as Shang Chi, I, I had intended to see it a third time with my dad. Uh, I don't get to see movies with my dad so much anymore since I moved to Belfast. Um, you know, so it's not just as handy. And by the time we sort of got round to to seeing it, it disappeared from the cinema. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely I'll, uh, I'll I'll nip down and pick that up on Blu-ray tomorrow. I've still got a few of the the Marvel movies that I have on DVD that I have to convert to Blu-ray, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I'll, I'll pick that up on Blu-ray. And, and sticking with uh, Marvel movies and TV shows, have you watched What If yet? Haven't watched a single episode. I know I'm a disgrace. My geek credentials are going to be revoked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we chatted a wee bit about it before. The, the reason I haven't watched then, I suppose, is just besides how busy we, we, we've both been, certainly is it, they're obviously not as essential to the, the future of the MCU, you know, with... WandaVision, with Falcon Winter Soldier, with Loki, they were setting certain things up that it was great to discover those yourself while watching it, rather than hearing that information second hand, but, but I'm guessing you've watched a fair few of them, if not all of them? Yeah, well, I'm up, I'm up to date, I think the next one drops tomorrow, I don't know if I get a chance to see it, I'm currently up in Coleraine rather than my own place, um, so... Uh, it might be next week before we get a chance to see it. But yeah, there has been some great ones. I mean, obviously, Loki and the, the multiverse has opened the way for, uh, you know, what. And it's cool because What If was a uh, what if was a, was a comic book, you know, that, that asked the question where the watcher asked the question, you know, what if something that didn't happen had happened? What if Gwen Stacy was bitten by the, the radioactive spider instead of Pete? What if, you know, all of these sorts of things. So this is doing that for the movie universe. Uh, and we've had some really interesting uh, what ifs, and uh, a lot of lot of um, the actors from the movie series and the, are, are lending their voices uh, to it, and in some cases that's quite poignant in itself. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been very enjoyable. I think we're just about hitting the mid season. Yeah, I think um, the new one is the the mid season one. I think based on the trailers I've I've seen sort of floating about for it anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so yeah, very good. Well worth a well worth a watch. But yeah, you'll burn through them. Um, yeah, and it is good to see the the watcher there as the as the host as he guides us through the, the universes of what if. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. The animation looks great on it and so forth, and I've heard pretty much stellar reports for for the show in general. But as you say, I've no doubt we'll sit down one night. It'll be half seven. Nothing to watch tonight. Half eleven, we'll have burned through it all by then. I would say. <laughs> but yeah, I mean back uh, back in working on background to movies i suppose you know there's the cinemas are starting to get going again i mean obviously shang chi has done fantastic business you know movies are now getting announced again you know i know venom was going to be held back but it's moved up i know that uh bond is finally out at the end of this month we had september 30th for that for no time to die but i would imagine the one you're looking forward to most is october 22nd you've only been waiting about a year and a half on this maybe <laughs> yeah. more 
the release finally of uh, Dennis Villeneuve's uh, Dune adaption. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be I'll be uh, I'll be lined up for the for the premiere of that. See, so there's some early reviews come out. Uh, some have been uh, not so favorable. Most have been stellar. Um, obviously, this is a movie not to be watched on your TV. This is a movie for the cinema, very much so. Um, I mean, it's gonna it's it's huge in scope. Um, so I don't see why you would. It doesn't matter how big your TV is. I would, <laughs> I would be questioning. I'd be questioning as to why you were watching it, uh, you know, on that. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, the the reviews have been have been have been good and, and really about the scope and the scale and the and the size of it, you know. And where there have been negative reviews, I've been, I've looked at them and gone, well, clearly you, clearly you missed the point here. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to to that. And uh, there's been some some talk of what comes next because. I mean, Dune is a is a huge book, huge universe, and uh, and I think they only adapt the first third of it or the first half of it really in this movie. So, looking forward to seeing what comes next. Um, yeah, yeah. Apparently, part two is dependent on how part one does. So, uh, hopefully, it'll do well because they've obviously spent big on the first part and they've mm-hmm. they've worked out that world and how to do it and they've cast it and you know I think Dennis Villeneuve said he had scripted part two. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think and, something uh, like that needs the two parts at least. I would say so, and one that you're, of course, looking forward to. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm I'm not a big Dune guy. I mean, I love, I actually love the David Lynch version. A lot of people hate it. That's fine. I'm not as close to the book where an adaptation would bother me. I know loads mm. was left out of it. I know that even David Lynch has, you know, distanced himself from it. He doesn't even consider it a David Lynch movie. But I think there's David, a lot of... David Lynch go- didn't even, didn't read the book. Never mind. I don't think he even read the script. <laughs> the ironic thing is he turned down Return of the Jedi to do Dune. Which is really oh, fun. Really? Yeah, which apparently kind of weird. Apparently, he went to a meeting with uh, George Lucas for Return of the Jedi, and he tells this story. He was like, "I was sitting there thinking, you know, it's not really my universe. You know, George created this, and then they pulled out this piece of paper that showed me something called an Ewok, and I walked out." <laughs> <laughs> he walked out. Is that he, what you're oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> Where are we, people? Oh well, actually, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's interesting because Dune is, is has been described as the inverse of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the very various character arcs. You know, whereas uh, you know, Luke is a is a farm boy that leaves a desert planet in order to become a great hero in the universe. Uh, Paul Atreides is a is a a Duke's son. Who leaves uh, power and uh, and, uh, and and comfort and goes to a desert planet in order to become a folk hero? Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, that's sort of inverse of one another. But the movie that I was uh, I was I was suggesting that you might be looking forward to is the one that's uh, that's coming out at the end of the month. Well, that's it. Yeah, James Bond is hitting, as I say, no time to die. Um, what's really interesting about this is apparently it's been ready and finished for over a year. They haven't went back to re-edit it. They haven't went back to change anything. It's just been like sitting in a vault, ready to go. I'm I'm so shocked it never got leaked in some way, just the world we live in. But no, Bond for me is the definition of big screen cinema. You have to see a Bond movie on the big screen. Even if the last couple of Craig ones haven't really been for me, Spectre, I really didn't enjoy, Skyfall had its moments but casino royale was a masterpiece and i'm uh-huh. hoping this links close to it just be prepared to keep your butt in the seat for quite a long time it's been announced it's the longest bond movie at 164 minutes so we're hitting nearly hitting three hours there so is that is that a mistake is bond better whenever it's relatively short and snappy for me a bond movie is yeah. two hours so but i yeah. think casino royale was about 130 but I suppose it just depends whether it feels long while, while mm. you're watching it. So I guess we shall see. But 
you know, so obviously that's going to keep the Bond franchise going. Uh, a trailer dropped actually quite interestingly this week for a movie that I don't think anybody asked for. But the trailer kind of intrigued me, I have to say. I mean, so we're, we're talking about The Matrix Resurrections. So it was real, uh, announced a long time ago that Matrix was getting a, a new movie. Is it going to be a sequel? Is it going to be a reboot? Kenny Reeves was involved. Lana Wachowski was involved. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss was involved, but certain other big ones, you know, such as Lawrence Fishburne, were not. Trailer dropped. I have to say the trailer looks really interesting, but in an ironic twist of fate, given what The Matrix is all about, it felt a little bit like deja vu. <laughs> kind of did, didn't it? it uh, I uh, I haven't got a lot of excitement for this, I have to say. Um, really enjoyed the, the, the first Matrix. Um, didn't enjoy the other two at all. They were, I think they were movies made for the sake of making movies. Um, I think, you know, they were going on, oh, Jesus, the Lord of the Rings movies are a trilogy. Maybe we should make a trilogy too. Um, and I, it felt a wee bit nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we need this, uh, but I, I, I will probably see it. Um, at the time, you know, the, the, the technology that, really made the Matrix movies a success, you know, the bullet time and, and uh, all of those special effects where what they were state-of-the-art technology has, has now moved on. So do those signature effects, I mean, will there be a new signature effects or, or will, you know, will, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know. And the other thing that really annoyed me with the Matrix is the fight scenes, there was no impact in any of this, you know, whenever Smith and, and Neo were fighting, they never felt like they were hitting each other, whereas... You went to see Blade and Wesley Snipes really was breaking bones and and hurting people. You know, it, was, it felt real. It felt like it had it had, it had gravity. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Gravity, ironically, something you can manipulate in the Matrix. Mm. The first movie is an undoubted masterpiece. I mean, it still holds up to this day for me. The second one, it has its moments, but I agree, it was disappointing. And the third one, I I'm not a fan of at all. But I don't know. The trailer it, it awake it awakened a little bit of nostalgia in me or something. I don't know, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I I saw some reports that this was like the Force Awakens version of the original Star Wars movies. You know, the way the Force Awakens has so many familiar beats. Uh-huh. It's almost a remake, but with new characters. You're kind of looking uh-huh. at this and thinking, is this a brand new movie or are they just sort of replaying the same beats? But we'll wait and see. Similar to you, man. I mean, it's it's coming out around Christmas. We all hopefully have a bit more free time around Christmas. You know, it's I always like to go to the cinema around Christmas time. It's sort of a wee bit of a tradition there as well. So I'll give it a go. Mm, you know, yeah, Ke- Keanu's sure. good for value. Sure. At the end of the day, the man's cool as hell. So, you know, <laughs> and he just comes across as a thoroughly nice bloke. So I will happily go see his movies. Um, what else we got? We saw Lock and Key season two is set for October as well. I still haven't watched all of season one. I still haven't quite adapted to the young adult sort of uh, adaptation of it. You watched all of season one? Yeah, watched it, enjoyed it. Um, having never read the the books, I since have got a loan of the books. Haven't had a chance to dig into them yet. Um, so uh, maybe I didn't have those maybe preconceptions that you had had from reading, yeah. you know, reading the books ahead of time, which I'll always wish I had done first. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Enjoyed the concepts, you know, seeing them for the first time. There's a lot of originality in it, mm-hmm. um, and it looked it looked good. It did certainly have that young adulty sort of thing going on. But I can I can deal with a wee bit of that. Well, I've come around to the young adult adaptation for it simply because if people 
who are sort of 12, 13, 14 are enjoying this and then say it ends at, I don't know, season three, season four. By the time that ends, they'll be 17, 18, 19 and they might go, let's check out the source material and then they'll Ooh. actually see a more adult version of it. So, I mean, I've no doubt a lot of care went into it and, and all the rest, but it was it's a pure horror series for me and it sort of lost a wee bit of that but mm. i probably should jump back into it maybe maybe I, with a bit of distance from it now maybe i can go into it with a, a slightly clearer head but but i suppose the last thing just to sort of throw into the the tv movies section you know for me easily the most anticipated movie next year is the batman which of course is matt reeves uh take on the dark knight you've got robert pattinson you've got paul dano you got zoe kravitz you got colin farrell Jeffrey Wright, um, you know, stellar looking cast. We saw the DC fandom trailer last year. I think that changed a lot of people's perceptions of it and a lot of people's interest to it. But apparently there was a test screening at the end of August and it was a near three hour uh, cut of the movie. Now, obviously, it's a it's a rough cut at this point. But the general consensus seemed to be that it was scary, serious, graphic and almost horror based uh you know just to throw out a couple of the uh responses on twitter from some different movie critics and so forth um the batman has had a three-hour long test screening people who have seen it have given it incredible reviews claiming that it's the best dc movie calls it very dark scary horror movie uh the movie is a straight horror movie paul dano is terrifying pattinson kills it as bruce wayne uh it's being described as very serious graphic and scary you know it's that to me sounds great because that's not a take we've seen so far you know, Nolan's mm. stuff is is amazing, which I absolutely adore, but it's not a scary horror-based take. It's a very real-world-based take. Burton's movies may have been scary at the time, you know, very gothic, all the rest, but I don't think you'd call them horror movies, so to speak. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. But it, it brings in the whole thing again about, you know, we, we talk about avoiding trailers a lot, and there are certain people who come in the store who just can't help themselves and then complain when a trailer shows off too much. But <laughs> you've got a new trailer scheduled for the Batman next month, and I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm with you. But I know I won't be able to avoid it, you know, whether it's screen grabs on Twitter or, you know, whatever else. So, but I'm I'm really going to try my best not to watch it. So I'll probably last a day. But, you know, they're, they're clearly showing a lot of faith in this as well, because they announced this week there's going to be a new HBO series, which is going to follow Colin Farrell's Penguin, which will be spinning out of this movie. They've already announced an HBO Max show for GCPD, you know, looking at the cops of Gotham. They're putting a lot of stock in this. So, you know, they they must be happy with it must be surely mm, absolutely that's yeah there's some 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 cool stuff coming out um talk a little comics i know we're not gonna we're gonna spend the next wee while talking comics but uh dc fandom was october 16th so, that right? so it's coming up october 16th so when i say a new batman trailer's coming out that's what it's going to be on so dc fandom it, it came out last year as a as a response to lockdown it was a completely online, only 24-hour event. Tons of panels, tons of trailer reveals, tons of comic announcements. Uh, just it was really, really well handled. I mean, last year we had that Batman trailer, as I say. You had your first look at Suicide Squad. We had the Snyder Cut officially announced. Keith will be very happy to know there's no Snyder-based content this year for DC. <laughs> I think everyone has finally moved on. But they've already started to showcase some of the stuff they're going to be showing on this. Uh, you know, first looks at, you know, Shazam sequel, Aquaman, all the movie stuff. But there's going to be tons of comic announcements added as well. I've seen that there's panels being set up for different writers and artists and so forth. So mark that in your diary. It's going to be October 16th. 
And again, it's going to be online for 24 hours, so they'll repeat some of the content over different uh, time frames. So definitely keep an eye for that. In slightly less glowing news, uh, a artist who has contributed quite substantially to one of Marvel's best titles of the last decade or two has now been dropped by Marvel. What's all this about? Yeah, I mean, the, the artist in question is uh, Brazilian artist Joe Bennett. Um, so there's obviously been a wee bit of controversy around Joe Bennett a wee bit earlier, um, later last year regarding some some stuff that he had drawn into the background or that that was that was pulled out of the uh one of the issues of immortal hulk for the digital release and then i believe i believe they offered refunds and and uh, re-releases for stores and whatnot um he was sort of given the benefit of the doubt then but more recently a picture appeared that he had drawn and he retweeted a picture that he had drawn in 2017 which appeared to aggrandize uh brazilian um president uh bolsonaro who is something of a fascist uh and there was a, a stylized picture of him and uh, his political enemies depicted in a, in a certain um uh, i guess a certain way uh wasn't wasn't pretty uh al ewing uh bennett's uh partner on on immortal hulk the writer of immortal hulk over the full 50 issues uh put out an announcement following this that he wouldn't be working with uh, Joe Bennett in future um, and uh, he was he was breaking all ties Immortal Hulk fortunately is um, has finished now at this stage or, or has certainly has finished the writing process the last issue hasn't been released um, Al Ewing did admit that maybe he should have reacted sooner and disappeared off social media for a while and following that then <clears throat> the announcement went out that Marvel had dropped Joe Bennett had ended association and had uh, taken him off a already announced project called timeless um so uh yeah um that is that is that i believe yeah i mean the timing for this i thought was a little bit interesting it was almost a case of right we've uh we've overlooked this for long enough now that you finished your 50 issue run <laughs> we're now gonna cut ties at the time and seemed a little strange because it was mostly to do with that political cartoon i think it was released 2019 or something like that yeah, so there's yeah. been plenty of time to sort of respond to it i would say but it's almost like they thought let's let's get the series finished first and go from there yeah definitely there was it wasn't um yeah i, I dare say there was there was probably monetary contract considerations in there um as well but uh, it, it it wasn't it wasn't a good look no uh for marvel it wasn't maybe it wasn't a good look for al ewing but bear in mind al ewing was probably under contract as well uh, or was no doubt under contract as well, yeah. and, uh, and and that contract probably prevented him from uh, saying anything sooner. Um, but um, job's done now. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I don't think it'll affect the sales of Immortal Hulk 50 either way, because I think people are, are genuinely curious to see how that run ends. And it's it, it does bring up the age-old question now, you know, separating art from the artist. You know, we seem to be speaking about this quite often in the comics industry these days, whether it's... Maybe not even just the comics industry, just, you know, I suppose entertainment industries in general, yeah, you know, yeah, of course. not even that, you know, sporting industries, everything, I suppose, because everybody's got so much exposure these days that, that you know, every skeleton comes out of the closet at some point. So it's, mm -hmm. so I think it's just that age old question of separate art from artists, but uh, I'm still going to read all 49 issues of Immortal Hulk. I put that down on tape last time. I'm going to read it before issue 50 comes out. 
I really hope issue 50 is about six weeks away. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's October, is it not? It is October. I just can't remember what date in October. It could be the yeah. start of October, but <laughs> I'll, I'll keep an eye out anyway. But but yeah, just to sort of finish off this week's section, we just wanted to throw out a wee bit of attention towards the last creator interview we did. We were chatting with writer and creator Connor McCreary. From that name, I'm sure you can guess that he's got some Irish roots. He He's uh, living in Canada these days, uh, moved over there at a very young age. His dad was originally from Dublin, I believe, mum and dad, I think. And uh, we had a really good chat with him. There was a great title we both enjoyed over the last year called The Last Witch. Uh, we go into a lot of depth on that in the interview in our previous podcast with him. It just came out there uh, in trade paperback form last week and actually sold really, really well in the first week. It, it brings in a lot of Irish mythology into the book and that's a really good selling point mm. for a store like ours and where we're located. So he was tremendous crack. I mean, we we go into interviews, I think, thinking these guys have maybe set aside 45 minutes first, maybe an hour. And uh, we asked him at the start and he just said, nah, I set aside time for you guys. There's, there's no rush. Mm. Three hours later. <laughs> Man, I mean, you and I are both talkers when it comes to our areas of interest, but Connor was exactly the same. So the three of us together was just, it was just good fun. As he said, it was a good hang. Yeah, very much so, and uh, I don't think it'll be the last time we're chatting to him. Uh, one yeah, thing we wanted, so. one thing we wanted to bring a bit of attention to as well, and we're going to throw it in the the notes for the podcast as well, the links and so forth. But he does have a crowdfunding book set up as well called Trickster, uh, which again has some roots in Irish mythology. He's using a slightly different form for. I think most places were using, or most creators were using Kickstarter. I know there were a few people uncomfortable with how Kickstarter was being used these days, so they were maybe moving on to different crowdfunding services. This is on one called Zoop, and uh, I believe it's just a, a $5,000 goal. It's not a massive target. I think they're already halfway there. Uh, we will be pledging to it ourselves. There is a retailer bundle, so I'll be getting that, and then hopefully have copies available in store when they arrive. And uh, yeah, we I have no doubt we'll be chatting to Connor again, because he was just really good fun, so... Uh, definitely check that out. So, anything else to add, or does that bring us sort of up to date? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk some some comics, shall we? Let's uh, let's talk some reviews. Yeah, well, we have a lot to catch up on. Uh, as as we obviously stated in the intro, we've both been really busy lately, but we want to get back on that horse and get back to a little bit of routine. But but we also didn't want to ignore the last sort of six or seven weeks because there have been some really stellar things that have come out, uh, definitely deserve attention, definitely deserve uh, a little bit of a chat about. So so Keith came up with the idea, and I'm curious how long we're going to stick to this because, as he also said, we're both talkers. But he came up with this idea that what we'll do is go right back. So we needed to cover titles from the 21st of July up to, you know, current. So what we would do is when it comes to our honorable mentions, we would relabel those quick picks chat about them for 30 seconds, maybe even set a timer. We shall see. And uh, no more than 30 seconds on each one. And then, of course, we'll have our pick of the week where we can chat, obviously, at a bit more length and, you know, really showcase those titles. So that's what we're going to aim for. We're going to get through as many as we can in this session. It may boil over to two. It might only be one, but we shall see. There will be timestamps either way, so you guys can... uh, you guys can keep an eye on that. But what I would say with the quick picks is I doubt there will be very many spoilers in those because... 30 seconds passes quicker than you'd think but the picks of the week will probably be quite spoiler filled so just be be wary of that going into it so we'll kick things off with the 21st of july we'll always follow our same format tell you how many titles we had that week and so forth i believe this was a week that there was a bunch of titles 
brought over from the week before. I think the week before we got a very small delivery, and then this week was a huge one. At least I hope that's what it is when I look at our numbers. Uh, my total this week was 39 titles. Jeez. Um, 7 DC, 6 Marvel. So a nice even split there. 25 indie books. Jeez, I need to look at myself sometimes. And one trade paperback. What about yourself? Uh, me, for the 21st of July, I had 32 titles, so lagging behind you by seven. Two of them were DC to your seven, uh, so uh, you're, you're well ahead in DC, but I uh, break the bank with Marvel, 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had 17 indie, so indie was my, my biggest takeaway there, as it was yours. It must have been a big, big indie week. Very much so, and, and some great indie books were had in that week. You know, my pick of the week's an indie book, unsurprisingly, and there's quite a few here in the quick picks as well. So, so yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to alternate the titles. You know, Keith will introduce one that uh, he enjoyed, then I'll introduce one, and then we'll always make a sort of a quick comment whether both of us have been reading it and what we both thought. So uh, I, should I start the watch, or, or can I trust you're going to go through? 30 seconds here you uh you you go for it and uh, you let me know when it's time and i'll let you know when it's time <laughs> let's do it go ahead you so go first then for this week what my, is your first quick pick my first pick is sinister war number one by nick spencer and mark bagley the start of mark bagley's finale to his run on spider-man we have peter parker uh attending mary jane's movie premiere some shocks and surprises as uh, we, uh, by the end of it, Spider-Man is fighting against not one, two, three, four, five Sinister Sixes, but six Sinister Sixes in a battle for his life. And some great stuff bookended by Mysterio and Doctor Strange and some some links to the past. Brilliant. Look at that. 29 seconds. This man's been practicing. Yeah, I mean, I uh, was reading Sinister War as well, and we'll probably get on to a little further as we go with uh, following issues as well. But yeah, worth it for that Mark Bagley art alone, I would say. So that was Sinister War number one. My first quick pick is Blue and Gold number one. So for me, this was an excellent first issue for two of DC's more underutilized characters, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. This comes from the team of writer Dan Jurgens and artist Rand Sook, so it's absolutely no surprise that this is a witty first issue and that it looks absolutely gorgeous. Ted Cord, Blue Beetle is semi-retired after the chastening experience of the recent Suicide Squad run when he was mistaken for the big bad guy and has had some health issues. Michael Carter, Booster Gold, is the ultimate opportunist superhero and has fully embraced social media and broadcast live streams of all of his battles, though they don't always go the way he would hope. But as the issue opens, he may be the Justice League's last hope, but he's going to need some help from Blue Beetle. Just something pleasingly old school about this title. Good old-fashioned four-colour adventures with a buddy cop dynamic, daring adventures and last-minute escapes. Great start to a very promising series. Not on that, but it sounds good. Uh, Second pick from me, we've got uh, Jed McKay uh, and uh, Alessandro Capuccio on Moon Knight number one. So we're kicking off... uh, a new Moon Knight series. We've all been really looking forward to it. Uh, we have the return of Mark Spector uh, and Mr. Knight and uh, Mark Spector's various multiple personalities. He's fallen out with Khonshu, the Egyptian god of the moon who created him, uh, and is now uh, working through the midnight mission to defend all those who travel at night. We've got uh, some great Moon Knight action. We've got uh, vampires in there, and we've got some great stuff from Moon Knight's past. Uh, a villain called Hunter's Moon who appears to be an inverse. So this is great stuff. Really enjoyed it. You on this one, Alan? Yeah, it was absolutely glorious art. It was the first thing that stood out for me with this title. But also Jed McKay's writing style is very approachable, very easy to get into. 
you can easily jump into Moon Knight number one, not knowing much about the character, and it will certainly fill the blanks. But and, and a very different sort of Marvel title, which is something I always enjoy. It's the same with DC as well. When you get something that's slightly outside the norm, I think it, it, it can get its hooks into you a little bit sooner. So, yeah, Moon Knight number one, great choice. Uh, next up for me is Canto 3, Lionhearted number one. So for this one, uh, a welcome return for our little Tin Knight that could. So after a really good three-issue side quest, original creators David M. Bohr and Drew Zucker are reunited for the third full installment. Canto 3 finds Canto trying to recruit an army to face the Shrouded Man on the battlefield. He is not just above, he is not just recruiting close allies, but he's actually willing to expand his search to once enemies, shall we say. The enemy of my enemy, after all, is my friend. The main takeaway from issue one for me is it's great to have Drew back on artist, I believe. He is an artist who has gotten better as the series has went on. You know, this art is clean, expressive, dynamic, clear, and real easy to follow. Time, please, sir. That's me done. <laughs> Lovely. Perfect. <laughs> so for me, my next pick uh, is Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow by uh, Tom King and Belquist Evely. Uh, it's the second series of an eight-part series, and this gets better with every issue. I think this is the height of Tom King's work so far. We have uh, Supergirl. It, it almost has a nearly like a John Carter of Mars, you know, that sort of pulp feel. Uh, Supergirl and her companion traveling across the universe, and we have the first uh, the first instance of Supergirl's, uh, I guess, being in a yellow sun, and so we have her powers for the first time. And, uh, yeah, this is just such a good book, so well nar- nar- narrated, and the dialogue is phenomenal. Yeah, I think you're going to be hearing this quite a bit through this podcast about Tom Keane uh, titles getting better as they go on. Uh, we have a few of those to get to. But yeah, beautiful title, Supergirl. Again, similar to Moonlight. If it's a character you know nothing about, this gives you everything you need to know to, to get to the core of that character. And the art is beyond stunning. It's so good. Yeah. So that was Next so for you, sir. For me, we have Radiant Black number six. So... An abs- another absolutely stellar issue of Radiant Black as we deal with another origin story, Radiant Red this time. So we actually have a guest artist on for this issue, which means it doesn't feel like it's breaking the continuity too much. You know, I always dislike when there's an artist change mid-art, especially if it's a creator-owned indie title. But because we're focusing on Radiant Red as opposed to our main characters, I don't think it's quite as big a deal. The world building in this title continues to excel, and it's always one of the first titles I read from my pull list every single time it comes out. And I believe you're on it also. I am indeed. And uh, I can't disagree with anything you said there. The the change in artist uh, just it works well because, as you say, it's a separate story from the from the main arc. But I'll uh, be glad to get back to the to the main arc because that's interesting enough as, as it is. Kyle Higgins doing great work. Yeah. And what have we got up next then from yourself? For myself, uh, we have The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton number two by Kyle Starks and Chris Schweizer. So this is the... Sort of slightly weird off kilter comedy title. Uh, the uh, Trigger Keaton, who is a, an action hero, a bit of a bastard, has been murdered, and now his six sidekicks are teaming up to find out who has murdered him. Whether or not they care is another question. Uh, but uh, as they move through this, we're starting to get to know the sidekicks a wee bit more. Uh, the 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 focus of this is Skippy, who was the the character who voiced the Night Rider Kit Car in that series, and at the end of it, we uh, we we meet uh, Trigger Keaton's only female sidekick, who seems to be the most together of all of them. Such a good book from Kyle Starks, and that sort of comedy you've come to expect from him. Yeah, it. I have a sneaky feeling with that one that it's going to be a big uh, trade seller. I think a lot of people have come to this title late. I think it is a little underrated gem, 
but it is just so much fun and we're obviously only speaking issue two here but i read issue four the other night and it's a series that just you know keeps that standard up the whole way through it so yeah i think when that hits trade that's going to be a good seller in the store six sidekicks of trigger keaton uh another boom title up next i believe yeah, absolutely. Just wanted to highlight Dark Blood number one from Latoya Morgan and uh, Walda Barna, uh, one of six. Uh, it's a really interesting title. I'm really interested in getting to get into issue two. Uh, follows um, a, a black uh, fighter pilot who has returned from World War II in 1955, uh, Alabama. We've got the undertones of racism. It takes place in three time periods before, during and after something called the Variance. Uh, as we, we we learn a wee bit more about this character and the the superpowers that he seems to be inherited inherited or have inherited, so definitely worth a look. Uh, are you on that one, Alan? Yeah, I enjoyed that as an issue one. I thought it was really interesting to look at, like you know, a superhero who is obviously of a different race, who's already having a hard time in the the town that he lives in, but then thinks that'll be accentuated further if people actually know what he can do. So, really intriguing issue one and a really good issue two actually, which uh, again we might get to in a wee bit. And then one last image title to finish off with for this week. Yes, sir. Image Top Cow. Uh, it's a title called Siphon, number one, from uh, Motion Ashraf, uh, Patrick Meany, uh, and Motion Ashraf on, on art, uh, and, and Jeff Edwards also on art. So follows a, uh, a first aid, um, well, I don't even, a first aid nurse, uh, if, you know, ambulance driver who inherits the ability to absorb people's uh, negative feelings. There's a wee bit of a wee bit of a backstory, a wee bit of an immortal thing going on, and and, and look back into history. Wasn't totally taken with the first issue, I have to say, but I feel like it's got potential. Stay tuned for a quick review of issue two. Then <laughs> did you did you read it yourself? Yeah, Siphon. I, again, pleasingly old school image. I thought uh, I, it reminded me of sort of a book from early on in Image where. The story wasn't really keen in the first issue for me. The art was keen. And I thought the art and the, the world that they were sort of creating was really, really interesting. So, yeah, same as you. I was I was always going to stick with it after issue one simply because it's only three issues long anyway. So <laughs> it's, it's typical just as you come to enjoy it. It only runs for three issues. But, but, yeah, that's Siphon number one as well. So that is pretty much our quick picks. I think we stuck to 30 seconds pretty well there. There or thereabouts. Well done, sir. But now we're uh, on to Picks of the Week. A little bit more detail here. And again, there will be a few more spoilers in Picks of the Week as well. Do you want to uh, take your pick first well, for sure. 21st of July? I'll kick it off since you had a little bit more talking in there. I mean, for me this week, uh, Pick of the Week, it's probably going to surprise absolutely no one if you know the release schedule for this week. Uh, for me, it was Deadly Class number 47. So written by Rick Remender, art by Wes Craig. And I'm sure absolutely is Everyone is absolutely bored at this point with me waxing lyrical constantly about this <laughs> title, but there's a very good reason why I do. It is one of the most consistent titles on the shelves and will go down as one of the great all-time comic series. Uh, it is an absolute brilliant issue, but I'd written at the time that it was also worrisome because I say worrisome because we've been dealing with some time jumps in this particular arc. Characters, you know, being moved forward age-wise, it's jumping forward in time. And I wasn't sure the series was going to continue much longer. And now, unfortunately, that has been confirmed. But I'm going to stay away from the negative and go back to the positive. So with issue 47, we're catching up with Saya, who, like many of her former King's Dominion classmates, has fallen in hard times. 
The story jumps ahead to 2001. You have to remember, Deadly Class actually kicked off originally in its time frame as 1987. So this is 14 years after the events of what we were introduced to at the start. Uh, at this point in 2001, Saya is short of hand. They got cut off in a battle. She's addicted to stealing to fund her drug habit. But the narration is always heartbreaking because you hear Saya's thoughts openly, you know, detailing regrets for the roads not taken. The early years of Deadly Class, they were all about the coolness of being a teenager, having your whole life ahead of you, having opportunities at every turn. You can be anything you want. The middle arc focused on that transition to adulthood, and now we're firmly in the realm of realising you were never as prepared for the world as you thought you were. But you know what? This issue ends with the best of things, as Andy Dufresne would say, hope. Mm. The writing has always been strong in Deadly Class, bristling with commentary on Generation X and the punk movement. But this title has always been a two-man show, you know, without Wes Craig's frantic, vital, dynamic, and also on this issue, wistful art, this title would not be the masterpiece it is. You know, I, I'll always try to stay away from recommending Deadly Class as a pick of the week in a way, because this is a series you need to read from the start. There's no jumping on points, but maybe if I just keep telling you about how good it is, you might actually pick it up. <laughs> At long last. It's coming to an end, right? It's coming to an end. Issue 54 slash 55 looks like it's going to be the end. The uh, the story arc's been announced kicking off in 49, I think, called A Fond Farewell. So it is coming to an end. But it, it, what I would say is with this, Deadly Class is coming to an end because the creators wanted to come to an end with the story they're telling. It's not a, you know, seals are down, you need to end it or anything like that. This is the story they wanted to tell. So I've made my peace with it. Whereas, obviously, with the TV show, it was cut down its prime. God damn it. But you have not made your peace with that. I have not made my peace with that. And I never will, damn it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if I can convince you of one thing, it's not to pick up issue 47, but it's to pick up that first trade and enjoy one of the best indie comics of modern times. And before you know it, you'll reach issue 47 and you'll understand why it's such a special issue and such Excellent. a special series. Brilliant title. Deadly Class, number 47, my pick of the week. Have read the first 12 issues, really enjoyed them. I think once the shoot the series finishes, I'll probably I'll probably get up to date with it um, because uh, without that recommendation, how could you not? Exactly. Absolutely fantastic stuff. But what else was absolutely fantastic this week and took your uh, title of Pick of the Week? Absolutely fantastic for me was Superman Red and Blue 5 from DC Comics. Obviously, Superman Red and Blue is obviously, it's our... Uh, it's our, our our book that focuses on those two colors within the art, but also has you know usually five or six teams of uh, of of creators telling short stories around uh, Superman. Uh, this one, th- this this was designed to have you in tears by the end of it. The emotion just built with every story, and by the end of it, you were like, "All right, that's me. I'm away." <laughs> uh, so, uh, story. I mean, uh, did you find the same thing yourself, or? Uh... I find every issue of Superman Red and Blue yeah, like that. To be honest, for me, for me, this was this was the best. We kick off with a with a, a crypto story uh, called Fetch, which is just fantastic. A boy and his dog, obviously, you know, gets you right in the heart. Um, second story, de-escalation, which was the uh, the G Willow Wilson Valentine Delandro story, was about a Clark Kent story rather than a Superman story about just a guy that 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 chose the wrong path and uh, is in in the middle of a robbery uh, and the person that he's robbing is of course uh, it's a store that Clark Kent is in so Clark Kent has to de-escalate the situation without using his, his physical power and revealing his identity very very cool stuff we have a we have a, a Jimmy Olsen story uh, about the, the friendship between Jimmy and 
and, uh, and, and Superman, Clark. Um, and then lastly, I guess the real, the real shot in the heart is the Daniel Warren Johnson story, right to start his letter, of course. Uh, and it's a, it's a John Kent story about John Kent as a, an older man, whenever he becomes a father, whenever they find a ship and, and so forth, and just not feeling like uh, he can do it. He's, he's too old to be a father. He doesn't know what to do. And he visits the, the priest and, uh, and the, the priest just says, just tell him how you feel about him the whole time. And then all the way through, it's then just, you know, just uh, you're special. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're special. You're special. You know, it doesn't matter what he's doing, whether he's he's eating, whether he's whether Clark's helping him as a as a child under the car, whether he's going to school, whether he's lifting a tractor, whether he's flying for the first time. You know, it's uh, and then just how that how that is so central to to who Superman becomes. Um, I'm nearly tearing up talking about it. Uh, so Superman, red and blue, number five, and uh, and that Daniel Warren Johnson story is a is a real a real one two in the heart. Yeah, it's another series that we've we've talked about an awful lot in this pod, talked about a lot in the store. Once that hits trade or hardcover, whatever way it's going to be released first, I think it's it's going to be a big seller. I, I'm not one for long Superman runs. I think that it can be sometimes hard to keep a story interesting when, you know, someone's only um, weaknesses are feelings for their family, kryptonite or magic. But if you distill down the essence of superman and the short stories there's so much you can do with it and Mm -hmm. that's what works brilliantly in these anthologies and i know in general you're not usually an anthology guy i know it's not a preferred format for you it i i have to say i mean there was there was a time that i was decrying the format um back uh when when roddy was with us regularly uh uh but i uh, over the last couple of years i have come around a bit to anthologies uh, because there have been so many that have been done so well i think I think that that view came from years of anthologies that were not done well. Um, and those some of those anthologies include the the big DC hundred page specials, you know, yeah. or or uh, you know the the Marvel tribute celebrations, you know, to Captain America, or you know the way they've done those. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, I have I have changed my opinion. God forbid that's something you can do in twenty twenty one. I think you're all good with that one. But no, it's Superman Red and Blue. It's you know it, the, the biggest compliment I can give it is it's it's by far the best DC anthology. You know, it's better than Batman Black and White. It's it's been better so far than Wonder Woman Black and Gold. Although that's actually been a good wee series as well. But yeah, there's just so many stories. Just get you right there, and you know. Issue 6 is another special one, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to as well. So that wraps up the 21st of July. So we move on then from the 21st of July to the 28th of July. So another big week here for us both. Uh, for me, it was 31 titles in total, which broke down as 12 DC, 6 Marvel, and 13 Indies. So an even split between DC and Indie, but a, a lackluster Marvel week for me this week. But do you make up for that? What are your numbers? Uh, I'm too ahead of you there on 33 titles in total. Titles in total, say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got 11 DC, 13 Marvel, and 9 Indie. Plus, I got one variant uh, in the, on the 28th of July. Uh, it was Nightwing 81, and it was from Stephen in the store. I believe it was just a, a wee prezzy to say thanks for loaning on the Invincible stuff, which was totally unnecessary, but very much appreciated. Well, it's always nice when, you know, you lend someone 150 issues of something and they give you one issue back, you see. So it was a lovely cover, though. It's uh, That's the cover with Dick and Tim Drake on it, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one. It's uh, sitting in the sitting in the subway. Uh, yeah, it was lovely. And I don't tend to. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have gone out and bought that variant myself. Uh, Stephen knows that I, I fight against the whole variant craze. Uh, so it was nice of him to uh, to to think about that. Thoughtful, thoughtful gentleman uh, amongst our our crew of thoughtful people. He has his moments. He has his moments. So yeah, so we'll jump straight in then. Same again, similar format. You know, quick picks. You know, thirty seconds or so on each. Uh, Good range of titles here. Some good DC, good Marvel, good indie. Why don't you kick us off with a title that came to a close? Yeah, Beta Ray Bill number five by Daniel Warren Johnson again, uh, writer and artist, and Mike Spicer who was the colorist. This was the the end of the five issue run on Beta Ray Bill, and what a run! This is the most metal thing that I think has been released in comics in quite a number of years, and that is, is above and beyond things that have been named metal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was coming. And, and uh, this was just phenomenal. This was a knockout drag, knockdown dragout fight between Beta Ray Bill and Surtur for the Twilight Sword, and and Bill to get his his hum, humanoid form back uh, as they, they journeyed through hell to get there. Um, of course, sometimes the thing that you get, the thing that you wanted, isn't always the thing that you need, uh, and that's very much evident in this. Such a great story. There was a wrestling reference in here, uh, wasn't there? Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, I would highly recommend picking this up and trade because this was fantastic. Um, can't say can't say enough about it. Can't say enough about it. Yeah, Better uh, Right Bill was, was one I jumped on straight from the start. Just again, a fan of Daniel Warren Johnson. Did such great work on Wonder Woman Dead Earth. But yes, as Keith says, there's uh, Daniel Warren Johnson's a big wrestling head. He, he posts a lot of wrestling stuff on Twitter and Obviously, I've got more and more into my wrestling again in the last couple of years, and there's a there's a sequence in the book where Beta Ray Bill pulls off a one winged angel, which is Kenny Omega's finishing move from AEW, and I swear I squeed when I saw that. It's just, <laughs> I looked at it about four times, just going, "Did did, did he just? Yeah. He did, you know?" So uh, yeah, great great book though. That is definitely one we've said it a couple of times about a few mini series but that is definitely one when that hits trade get on that it is superb yeah brilliant um, characters brilliant writing brilliant art um all by the same same guy so what about yourself first pick for 28th of july so first Go. pick up for me is batman reptilian number two so after a brutal and uncompromising look at gotham city and its dark knight protector in issue one it's more of the same with issue two, and that is fine by me. You know, this is a, a cold, stark world that Garth Ennis and Liam Sharp have created. And again, I'm all for it. You know, we have the superhero team-up books, and we have Tinian's great Bat Family books for our other fixes of Batman. But sometimes it's great to just have that unrelentingly somber look at a billionaire who fights to save his city. And maybe deep down knows it's beyond doing. But we'll go down fine with the ship anyway. Another gorgeous issue from Liam Sharp. I know the art is not for everyone. But I absolutely love it, and again, echoes the classic that is Arkham Asylum. So, brilliant second issue, bring on issue three. Sweet. Next up um, for yourself. I know I'm not going to convince you to come back to Batman Reptilian. It's all good. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's all good. That's all good. That's, that's, that's my choice, and I'll live with it. I'll live <laughs> with it. Uh, next up for me, uh, number five of five of uh, Chariot, which was Brendan Edward Hill and Priscilla Petriti's uh, synth wave thriller. If you like Knight Rider, you'll like this. Um, you know, this five-issue series was just, it was a, a callback to the 80s. It was, you know, a callback to the likes of Knight Rider and, and that sort of technology. It's the, the final battle between the two sisters. Uh, you know, one a cyber ninja, one a hologram whose uh, who's brain and body is now the AA in a car and, and the folk that are, that are caught in the middle. I have not been so glad... Uh, 
as to see at the very very end of the uh, of the issue a uh, end of volume one rather than a finish uh, because this sort of finishes with a it's almost like the end of a pilot uh, you know a, a double length pilot um, episode or something like that just has that feel and uh, we see where we see where Jim and uh, and I uh, can't remember the, the the hologram's name where they go to next but this was great stuff. Yeah, I've never thought of you so quickly when I read something as when I got to the end of Chariot 5 and saw that little, but Chariot will return and thought <laughs> that is going to be one happy man. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the virtues of AWA Studios, great genre pieces, great storytelling, short miniseries, but if there's legs in the idea, they're not afraid to go into a second volume. They've done it with Year Zero and they're obviously going to do it with Chariot as well. So yeah, Chariot number five, the end of the first arc. Again, keep an eye out for the trade, which will not be too far away. So next up for me, we're back to the world of DC again, and we're off to off on some strange adventures. Uh, issue 11 uh, hit this week. So we're approaching the end of this 12-issue maxi-series. You know, this has been Tom Keen writing. It's the art duties have been split between Mitch Jareds and Evan Doc Shaner. You know, this is the sci-fi superhero epic, and to me, it looks like this series is going to stick the landing. We've both talked at length many times about how this book has gotten better with every issue as the stakes have been raised, more and more truths have come to light, and this is another brilliant issue. The art again is superb, with Shaner and Jared splitting art duties, as I say, depicting different times in Adam Strange's life. And for me as well, King's writing is very clever here. He, he poses no easy answers. He doesn't side with one character over another. I always feel any good Tom Kane book will lead to an interesting discussion on morality and human choices, and you can definitely add Strange Adventures to that list, and we may just be talking about another one of his books later on, and another issue 11. You're on this, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Again, I think uh, I think it'll read great as a trade. Uh, there's a lot going on in this, and there's some stuff I think that slips between the cracks and between issues, but you know the idea of, of, of truth and post-truth and uh, so Tom King really with his, his finger on the on the buzzer of of, of what's current uh, in, in media and in, in the society in which we live. Yeah, very much so. No, great, great book. And as you say, that's going to make an awesome trade when it's all collected. Uh, what's up next for yourself then? Surprising no one. We've got uh, Something is Killing the Children, number 18, James Tinney IV and Werther Delderra's uh, Boom uh, title. Uh, so we've got Me and My Monster in a part three. We're exploring the origin of Erica Slaughter and her, her induction into the House of Slaughter. And we, we meet for the first time, we're starting to, to, to word build a wee bit, and we meet for the first time Big Gary Slaughter as Erica is taken to the farm to uh, face her fears and, uh, and, and, and possibly die in the process. Uh, you know, this is, this is the story of what makes this little girl whose parents and family have just been killed by a monster uh, into the Erica Slaughter that we first met in Archer's Peak. And there's some very cool stuff going on in here. So love this, love the story that uh, that uh, James Tillian is telling, and and also kind of the origin of Octo, mm -hmm. her, her her cuddly toy, uh, you know her 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 totem. So uh, I know you're you know you're on this. I know you're loving it. Um, so. Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, I've I've seen a little bit of online reaction, thinking that this series is starting to lose a bit of steam. But for me, it's it's gone better and better. You know the whole origin story for Erica was always going to be interesting you know seeing the the machinations of how you know the house of slaughter works is really really interesting and again this is all great world building stuff and and as you say to a degree you know her her little I suppose you could call it a pet at this point now uh it's not just a voice in her head you know the seeing the origin of that was really really interesting as well so yeah for me continues to be fantastic big seller in the store when it comes to the trades 
Uh, we, we've got volumes one, two, and three in stock. So if you're not on it, you definitely have the opportunity to do so if you pop into the store. So next up for me was Amazing Fantasy number one. And this was a very pleasant surprise for me. You know, I I didn't know much about it going in. I, I decided to pick it up primarily because of my recent enjoyment of sort of swords and sorcery within the pages of Conan. And because that cover art by Carrie Andrews, who's really pulling career best work in this issue, and by the looks of it, doing everything from writing to pencils to covers, <laughs> this is very much a Carrie Andrews joint right here. So the synopsis goes that Red Room era Black Widow, a teenage Spider-Man and World War II Captain America are pulled from across space and time and wake up in a mysterious island. Are they dead? Are they dreaming? Or have they been pulled into a magical realm? But what's great is the core of what makes these characters great is fully on show here from their heroics to their capabilities and their leadership. But it's all in a twisted version of reality and I love me some elsewhere slash what if stories. So I was really pleasantly surprised by this first issue. Were you on it yourself? I'm on it myself. I'm really enjoying Andrew's art. Um, the story is possibly a wee bit out there for me. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what happens. You know, there's the, the whole different tribes and, and how... Cap, uh, Spidey, and Black Widow have, have linked up with those tribes at certain points of their their lives. I just I'm I'm a wee bit off kilter with it, but mm-hmm. I think that's the whole point. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it's supposed to knock you slightly out of your comfort zone, and you know, not worry about canon and not worry about overarching storylines, that kind of thing. It's just taking those core characters and throwing them into a sort of out of nowhere sort of weird situation i suppose but yeah the art as i say is fantastic and those covers are just like posters waiting to happen uh so what have we got next up for yourself then from myself uh, from image comics chris condon and jacob phillips you know what's coming that texas blood number eight if you're not reading this title why not what's wrong with you um this is it's just it's just about the the best title on the racks or one of the best title in the racks um i'd agree with that, that. You know that 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 Western noir, uh, the the dialogue in this book consistently is the best dialogue in comics. Um, just the back and forth. But this is part two of Eversol 1981, uh, as a young Joe Bob, um, an old Joe Bob tells his colleague uh, a story in flashback of 1981, whenever he was a young cop in in Ambrose County, Texas, and investigating the disappearance of of young girls alongside private detective Harlan Eversol. Uh, it, it involves uh, Hollywood. It involves uh, cults, you know, and it's it's exactly what you would expect from the, from the darkness of that Texas blood. There's one beautiful center page here, where uh, where old Joe Bob is is talking to his colleague across the table, in the same venue, the same uh, diner that they had the conversation in his, his younger days with Eversol, and he almost points across the diner, and then on the other page, it's 1981. It's so so good the, the jacob phillips work here is is phenomenal not too far behind uh behind mr brubaker and his father yeah i mean that's some great company to definitely be in so yeah just uh, again been a brilliant book so far we we obviously chatted these guys in the pod quite some time ago it's definitely worth seeking that out and um, the podcast network and yeah first trades available that texas blood really good self-contained story but also sets up some great stuff for this arc which has definitely went even darker than the first one so that texas blood number eight uh, next up for me and my final uh, honorable mention slash quick pick for this week is Daredevil 32. So there's a new issue of Daredevil out. So, of course, we're going to mention it because this run just continues to be awesome. Uh, Mark, uh, Mike Hawthorne steps in art-wise for Marco Cicchetto, who I believe is off working on a 
not so secret anymore, Daredevil event called Devil's Reign. And again, Mike Hawthorne steps up to the plate. Uh, Zdarsky's script is wonderful again. You know, we're kicking off a new story arc, which in timely fashion for the world right now is called Lockdown. But I think every time we mention Daredevil, it's it's to bring new readers to the trades more than single issues at this point, as it is very much one big run. You know, although this is the start of a new story arc, if you jumped onto it now, I think you'd be playing catch-up, to be honest. You know, just jump in at the start of it, volume one, and settle in for one of the great Daredevil runs. I mean, we talk about it every time it's out. Oh, absolutely, and there's there's good reason why. There's very much a good reason. So, Daredevil 32 this week again. So, one last honourable mention then before we jump on the picks of the week. Absolutely, from Image, The Old Guard Tales Through Time, number four of six. Uh, Tales Through Time, again, is it's, it's a, a series that's bridging the gap between Volume 2 and Volume 3 of The Old Guard. Really looking forward to, to Volume 3, but this is, this is uh, filling that gap nicely. Uh, there's two stories in here, How to Make a Ghost Town by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber, and Love Letters by David F. Walker and Matthew Clark. The first one, uh, How to Make a Ghost Town, was the one that really, really grabbed me. Uh, it's, uh, it's about Andy and, and Achilles, a character who we've seen before uh, in, in the old guard mythos, uh, the former slave who, uh, who Andy uh, was, a, I guess, a rebel alongside over the years. Uh, but this is a, furthers that story, you know, how they first met and how they stayed together, but she grew older while he didn't. And then how she left and the town turned on him and she came back and had her revenge. Uh, it's a brutal story. It's a love story, but it's a, it is a, oh God, there's a, it, it's love, but it, you know, it's, we, we see Andromache, Andromache the Scythian again uh, here. So, so yeah, great. Uh, looking forward to the last two issues of this, but really looking forward to, uh, to the, um, the volume three and great to see uh, Steve Lieber's art again. Last time we saw Steve was uh, Jimmy, Olsen. Uh, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, yeah, great title. So it was uh, it was one of the best titles of last year, I would say. One that mm-hmm. we definitely very much enjoyed. Yeah, Old Guard. I've been I've been reading it myself. Unfortunately, I don't have issue four. It was one of those delivery snafus. I'm still waiting on my top up issues coming, but I'm sure it'll come at some point. The good thing with Old Guard though is you can jump into every issue individually anyway because they are short stories they are one-off stories and they are different uh, creative teams each time as well so that'll do it then for this week in terms of honorable mentions but on the picks of the week for 28th of july and for me i went all dc for this one uh so my pick of the week for this week is robin number four so this has been a consistently great series already and four might be the best issue just yet Although, spoiler, until number five comes out anyway. More on that later. (laughs) So, Joshua Williamson on writing duties here. You know, he continues to explore what makes Damien Wayne tick and his desperate need for approval from father figures, or in the case of this issue, grandfather figures, as the best Robin, yes, I said it, finds himself on another island, except this is not Lazarus Island, and he's in the company of Raz Al Ghul. So, series artist Gleb Melnikov is absent for this issue. Which again would normally be a negative for me, but if you want to talk in step in artists, I'll certainly take more Jorge Corona, please. He of store favorite title, Middle West. What's great about this issue for me is that we find a more introspective, regretful version of Raz, Raz Al Ghul after his latest defeat to Batman. You know, this this is a side of Raz we don't often see in comics. You know, he's usually the ultimate arrogance and confidence and forward planning. And it's the complete opposite this time, and it makes for a brilliant character-driven issue as Damien is able to see that he can still learn plenty from his grandfather without having to step over those moral boundaries that Bruce has spent his life trying to get Damien to adhere to. 
And that's what's fantastic about this series in general for me. Yes, Damien is a little know-it-all with the biggest chip on his shoulder and determined to prove everyone wrong. But he's also open to learning and growing as both a hero and a person. And they do this in several ways in the book, which I think is great. You know, I really enjoy the manga he's reading as well as the storylines mm. and characters. They subtly parallel the growth of Damien. You know, I'd said for a long, long time that Williamson should be the one to take over from Tinian when it comes to the main Batman title. And it's issues like this that enforce that view because he understands the Bat family, but he also shows a new and interesting take on an age-old villain here. And I was so delighted when he was announced as officially taken over. You know, I've never been so happy to be right in my life. <laughs> Good for you. Well done. Good oh, big time. Big time. Um, but yeah, the the art is is beautiful in this book. You know, Jorge Corona, he's got a... It's got a very expressive and emotional style that perfectly fits a book like this. And he's especially adept, I think, at younger characters. You know, you think back to Middle West, there was a lot of younger characters Mm, in that. So I think, therefore, he's the perfect fit for Damien. He also uses sound effects as well in a really cool way in his art, which I really, really like. So, yeah, for me, this, this is one of the best Bat books on the shelves. And given how many of them there are, the fact it's able to stand out as much as it does, I think, speaks volumes to it. So... Brilliant series, loving every issue that comes out, and I believe you're on this one yourself as well. Oh yeah, I can't disagree with you at all, and I've had a lot further to come with regard to Damien. Uh, you know, not a character, not a character I like, but has become a character that I love to hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's, but that's he's a snarky little bastard. So how could you like him? You know, <laughs> he's he's, uh, he's too big for his boots. You know, he's all of that stuff. But I mean, I love this series. I love the. You know the it's almost like an under the dragon sort of a sort of a thing, but but very much within the bat universe and the the Lazarus Island and the Lazarus and all of that. And it's a it's a fight to the death, but yeah, it's really explore it's exploring Damien and, and and getting inside his head and yeah, very I totally agree with you. Great pick, excellent. Thank you very much. And how about for yourself? What was your pick of the week this week? I'm sticking with DC and I am going with Damien's super son buddy. Uh, John Kent in the first issue of Superman, Son of Kal-El uh, by Tom Taylor and John Timms. Um, truly, John Kent is a Superman for the 21st century. So, you know, it starts with a look at Damien's birth. Um, you know how Clark had to be called back from a battle above the earth as Lois is ready to give birth in the Fortress of Solitude. Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter taking over, sort of uh, foiling this alien invasion. Batman guarding the gate to the to the uh, to the Fort- Fortress of Solitude, and uh, and of course Wonder Woman inside, sort of looking after Lois. And uh, it's just you know you get some great moments between Clark and, and Lois and. You know, the, the the conversation between Bruce and Diana outside, regardless of his powers, he will have the compassion of Superman and the fierce commitment of Lois Lane. So, yeah, so so good. And I mean, we, we get to we get to California, you know, where we're looking at an environmental catastrophe, real modern day stuff, uh, forest fires, the biggest forest fire in 100 years. But there's a there's someone at the middle, of, you know, a, a, a cause at the middle of it, a metahuman. And, you know, John uses his compassion and and where, where the, the U.S. Army are trying to, to destroy this this individual. And, and uh, it's just you see John really going up against the, the establishment here and, and, and showing really, really kind of doing stuff that Superman, his father, wouldn't do. And we have a great, a great moment. And I think it's a segue out of out of Robin, you know, where 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 John and, and uh, Damien meet up. Um, and it does feel like it's he sort of stepped off the island for a minute just to just to meet his buddy. And, uh, you know, it, it, 
it comes down to he's, he's, it comes down to you know good you know Robin saying good it's 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 time for Superman to stop fighting the symptoms you're powerful enough to be the cure so we're we're really setting up a a Superman for the 21st century this was just great stuff it's it's Tom Taylor you know who's who writes he writes from the heart all the time and just and just gets you right there so. I am really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with with John Kent. John is is fast becoming one of my favourite DC characters, um, just as as Damien is as yours. So highly recommend picking this up. It's at its second issue now. Grab the first if you still can and and, and just get on it. This is is great and it looks gorgeous. Absolutely looks gorgeous. I can't I can't think who John Tim's art looks like, but it's it's someone. Um, just, just classic style isn't it a very classic you you read this as well did you Alan? yeah did indeed I, I again i come into this one maybe with slightly less knowledge you know i wasn't on uh the main superman title you know doing uh, following the stuff bendis was doing you know obviously agent jonathan kent up i was i was aware of some of these things but i wasn't you know fully invested but you know tom taylor's name's on it i'm gonna pick it up and <laughs> as ever he just fits so much into a single issue you know i i was so glowing about this the week it came out to people you know, in the space of one issue, he managed to show you the birth of Jonathan, his relationship with uh, Damien, his relationship with his father. There was a, a moment where he got to be heroic and save people. And then there was also set up for what direction he can go in. We talk about it all the time. It's that efficiency of storytelling. There's no one better than Tom Taylor. at it. He can fit so much into such a short space of time. And A, you don't feel lost. And B, you feel quickly invested. And yeah. I thought this achieved so so much. I thought it was brilliant, brilliant think, first issue. Yeah, I think so. He's he's crossing it over a wee bit with Nightwing as we'll maybe talk about later on. And uh, that you know, there's there's this ominous sort of Superman has to go somewhere, removing remove, yeah. removing Superman from the from the equation here and letting letting Jonathan really become that you know no no longer live in his father's shadow as it were. Yeah. No, definitely. And again, a definite shout out for the artwork. John Timms' stuff is great. And we did recently get in Second Prince of number one into the store. It has a new cover from uh, John Timms of, you know, Jonathan flying on the outside of the world, that very classic Superman pose of, mm. you know, circling the globe. And uh, we've issued twos in as well. That's as far as the series is. And we, we genuinely cannot recommend it enough. So, yeah, uh, great choice. It, it would have been definitely up there as, as my pick of the week if it hadn't have already been your own. So, yeah. and again, it's interesting that those two titles cross over with each other as well. It's almost yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It feels like it. It feels like it a wee bit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that is going to bring to an end then the uh, picks from July the twenty eighth, which just throws us straight into August, and yeah, we're just going to keep going here. So. Same again, numbers this week, a relatively quieter week when you compare it to the previous two, though oh, still a massive a week. <laughs> still a massive week for most people, but uh, 22 titles was my total for 4th of August. Uh, that broke down as 70C, just the three Marvel and 12 indie books. How about yourself? Uh, I have two behind you, 20 titles total, 20 titles total, uh, 6DC, 5 Marvel, 9 indie. So uh, indie again has, has taken my 4th of August crown. Well, why don't we jump straight into one of those DC books and definitely one of DC's best books as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Swamp Thing number six of ten. So we're now halfway through uh, Ram V and Mike Perkins' uh, run. And what a run it is. It's just, it's so, it's so good. Um, this uh, this story takes place in Kaziranga Forest in India. And we have, I believe it is the Suicide Squad uh, led by Peacemaker. 
uh, taking trench swamp, hunting hunting for swamp things. So we've got a, a crossover here, and I guess it was very timely because the the Suicide Squad movie was just out as well. Um, so this was just this was just great. Uh, they have sprayed the the forest with a defoliant that seems to be uh, keeping swamp thing at bay, and it just goes from it just goes from there. Uh, they're all screwed up individuals. Uh, you know, you've got Parasite and and what do you call him? Uh, fire guy. What do you call him? Mick. Um, I can't oh, remember. name yeah. escapes me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's just such a beautiful book. Uh, there's a wee bit of a flashback as we learn a wee bit more about uh, about how Levi became the Swamp Thing whenever he was in India and what's happened there, and and just such a such a great uh, ending page. So Swamp Thing number six. This has not got old. It's going to make a great trade. We're more than halfway through now, so you may not be jumping on, but uh, but yeah, definitely keep an eye out. Ram V is just one of the best around. Yeah, again, it seems like uh, this pod is a consistent series of cheap plugs for our previous creator interviews, but <laughs> you can also go back and listen to when we chatted to Ram, and one of the, the best tidbits of information he gave us was that if this Swamp Thing series does well, he has ideas for a volume two and so forth, so 10 issues is not necessarily the end of this run, which would be a real shame because, as Keith says, it's a brilliant book, beautiful art, really interesting take on the character as well, so uh, long may it continue, so... Uh, my first one from this week is Seven Secrets, number 11. So just like any week, there's a new Daredevil issue released. We always have to mention Tom Taylor and Daniel DiNiculo's Seven Secrets, which is now approaching the end of its second act. So major revelations and twists in this issue, although it almost feels like there's one in every issue of this book. The pace is always relentless of Seven Secrets. I'd mentioned it a wee bit before with Superman, Son of Kal-El, but it just comes back to that idea of efficiency of storytelling. There's there's not a better writer out there for me who can convey so much character and story in such a short space of time. You know, issue 12, which will be the next issue, will mark the end of the second uh, story arc. And if you haven't brought yourself to the swashbuckling, heroic, mysterious, family-based world of Seven Secrets, then what are you waiting for? Get onto the trade paperback of Volume 1 now, which of course we have in store. So that's the action, the betrayals. Oh my god! Oh yeah, as I say, every ramifications. Every issue feels like there's something big, so it does. But uh, this one felt especially big. I thought Uh, this was one of those classic Tom Taylor on Twitter the day before saying, "Avoid Twitter because spoilers." Uh, So yeah, Seven Secrets number eleven. What have you got up next? I've got uh, from Marvel. Uh, Marvel's making an appearance uh, for the first time in 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 a minute or two. Um, I've got X Men number two from Jerry Dugan and Pepe Larraz. Uh, beautifully plotted, great-looking book. I mean, Pepe Larraz and art is just phenomenal. Uh, the the time has come for the newly elected X-Men to protect the rest of the Earth, so they've moved outside Korea, Krakoa. And uh, at the, in the meantime, we've got the uh, the patrons of Cordyceps Jones Deep Space Casino competing to wipe humanity off the Earth. So Cyclops, Jean Grey, Sunfire, Sink, Wolverine, Polaris, and Rogue um, are are uh, protecting are protecting the Earth. Last week, you know, the last issue was a bit of a, a a cool start. This is another sort of a monster of the week, and we're we're sort of starting to develop the characters of of Sink and and get to know them uh, against the backdrop of depend defending a town against a uh, these this this horrible horrible monster. But and again, we're seeing the the X Men using their powers and in, in tandem. Uh, Jerry Duggan seems to be leading the way here with with the X Men, and he's doing some great stuff. It's like nearly classic X-Men for the new Krakoan era. 
Yeah, I mean, I really do get X-Men issue one, so I, I do have issue two in my box. I just haven't got to it just yet, but I really did like the tone they were setting up, the teamwork of X-Men number one as well. It's not that I don't like Jonathan Hickman and everything he's done, but it was kind of nice to have a fresh voice almost on, on, on X-Men, and Jerry Dugan, I think, did really good work there. So, yeah, X-Men number two was your next one. So... Next up for me, we have is Suicide Squad Get Joker number one. So, onto a premium plus format DC black label book, or as Keith would call it, a silly size book from the <laughs> superstar team of Bran Azrael on writing duties and Alex Maleve on art. I mean, that creative team alone sells me in this book straight away. What also sets this book apart straight away is who is picked to lead Task Force X and who they are going after. Amanda Waller is able to recruit Jason Todd, or if you prefer, the Red Hood, to lead the Suicide Squad. And who are they going after? Well, it's only the man that killed him, the Joker. So what follows in this one is a brilliant, very adult setup issue as we put the team together, which includes the likes of Harley Quinn, the likes of Firefly, and it pulls no punches with its dialogue or its depictions of violence. You know, it is very much an adult-based book. It came out around a similar time, actually, of the, the Suicide Squad movie. And this had a very similar vibe to it. Even had a little remnants of humor in there as well. So brilliant first issue. And in all honesty, it was very close to being a pick of the week. So yeah, I know, I know that the big format books don't do it for you. I know you stay away from them as a general rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe when it hits trade, maybe we'll, we'll be able to convince you around. See, there's a couple. I was interested in the, in the question one. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see how we go there. That'll I'll maybe, I'll maybe, maybe sample that one and go from there. No worries. Cool, cool. So Suicide Squad get Joker number one. So what's next up for you then? Uh, something else that doesn't pull punches. Chip Zdarsky and Ramon K. Perez's Stillwater number nine from uh, from Image. So uh, Daniel is uh, is obviously in Stillwater here and has met up with Galen and the uh, I guess the the children of Stillwater who tragically and and oh, really horribly just never grow up. Um, there's a, the, the Peter Pan effect, but we're seeing the negative side of it here. You know, especially. Uh, one of them is a is a baby, and mm -hmm. you know it's it's just mad. You know the the, the just a, a, the the their their brain never develops. You know, but they're they're they no longer look you know at people like a baby with that wide eyed wonder. You know, it's just it's almost like the a baby but jaded. You know, so uh, Ted uh, has called in. You know, the, the sheriff of the town has has called in his former marine unit, and there's a, a whole lot of shit kicking off and. Looks like we're we're getting to the point that we're maybe going to have a, a generational battle here, with the you know the the, the children versus the adults, uh, with Daniel who is one of the children of Stillwater technically, but left and so was able to grow up, um, you know really really involved. So, so yeah, this is just this is just great, really powering towards issue twelve, um, and it's just I, I don't know what the word for it is. It's sort of terrifying and creepy and makes me feel a wee bit sick reading it <laughs> which of course in a positive way you know no absolutely <laughs> uh you know and it's it's just almost like chip zadarsky has taken you know that obsession that i have with immortality and you know all things highlander and, and old guard and just turned it on its head a wee bit yeah you know looked at it in that way that he does that so yeah i'm really loving this book and, and the mysteries that it brings up and the questions that it brings up 
Cool, so Stillwater at number nine there. So uh, next up is another number nine. Uh, this one is from Boom Studios as opposed to Image though. And this is Wind number nine. This is another title we've been on very much from the start, been talking about the virtues of it quite a lot in store, on the podcast, etc. This is uh, from James Tinney the fourth, who of course is you know, well-known Something's Killing the Children, current Batman writer, etc. Uh, arts by Michael Dialnis. And of course, with this approaching the end of the second arc, uh, Wind tends to work in five issue arcs as opposed to six issue arcs. This is the moment of calm before the storm. Uh, this was again another issue based around the idea of you know we were talking about it with um, Seven Secrets. This is to do with the idea of betrayals. This is the you know the the darker side of the the story arcs here. Um, so with this one, it is again another great entertaining story from Tinian. You know it's. His character work is what's strong in this for me. The characters are, are characters that you root for. The the good guys are pretty clearly defined. The bad guys are pretty clearly defined. And there's good relationships there. You can see the care that the characters have for each other, that kind of stuff. And it does end in quite an intriguing way. It was quite the, the cliffhanger at the, at the end of this issue as well. Uh, and again, we mentioned for the art, Michael Dialnis' art, I think, and this just perfectly suits the world and, and the story as well. So, yeah, another really solid issue of Wind, and, and again, we're heading towards the end of that second act. So you're you're still on Wind as well, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. You say the camp before the storm, but I think we're very much in the storm by the end of that issue. <laughs> um, you know, it's really about, uh, that issue's really about Wind's relationships with the various characters around him. Um, and obviously Thorne has been injured and there's there's a whole lot going on, the world building and the politics and stuff that that, that, that Tinian is building and what kind of is definitely an all ages book. Yeah. Definitely I... definitely the dark dark end of that, but uh, I mean it belongs I think very much alongside the last wedge. Yeah, I think so. I mean we, we we've talked about that before. I think it I think it's all ages in the way I suppose, you know, something like Harry Potter is all ages. There's a lot of dark elements to something like Harry Potter as well and as you said, it's definitely at the sharper end of that scale, but I do think this is an all-ages book. I mean, they even promote it that way, certainly in the, the size of the book. It's, it is normal comic size for the single issues, but when it comes to the trades, they're smaller trades, you know, obviously designed to fit in smaller hands, if you will. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just continuing to be a really good series. Uh, win number nine, of course, the first trade is already available. And uh, I think just one more you wanted to mention before we move yeah, on to picks of the week. Can't, can't not mention uh, the penultimate issue of the Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing. Uh, and it is, I mean, next issue is issue 50, October. It's going to be double-sized, but this was just a winding-up issue. This was just, if you talk about the cam before the storm, this was that. Um, done in a really interesting format. There's no... It's not the standard comic format. What we've got is, you know, big, you know, single or, or double page spreads. And then down either side, there's a a, a dialogue, you know, a, a narrative from uh, from the, the the reporter character, Jackie McGee, um, as, as the Hulk goes to New York to meet the Avengers, you know, who he's beaten the shit out of, you know, the last issue. And, and uh, you know, what goes down there, how... You know, Hulk brings anger with him, and then suddenly he likes a Captain America and Captain Marvel and Thor are bristling, and She-Hulk's trying to protect the. You know, we, we go into Bruce Banner's background, and then the Fantastic Four appear, and uh, Hulk is on a mission to save uh, to save Bruce Banner from from the one below. So my God, I cannot wait for the final issue of this of this series this is this is just something else um i can't wait till you get to this one and see the format of it 
Yeah, I mean, again, I've I've managed to trace them all down now. I I have them set up. I will definitely read them before issue fifty because you've always been very restrained. I'm not always being able to uh, talk about it maybe as much as you would like to in this pod. Uh, so I will definitely catch up so that we can have a really good deep discussion on issue fifty when it hits. So yeah, that's gonna call up. Uh, that's gonna do it for the the quick picks and honorable mentions for the fourth of August. We're gonna move on then to the honorable mentions of this week. So uh, it is for me. It's an indie book that takes it this week. Uh, an image title uh, that comes from a great creative team that we certainly have enjoyed their previous work. So for me, the pick of this week was the Me You Love in the Dark. Uh, a brand new number one as I say it's not often that a title will make it on to our picks of the week based not on the storytelling or writing but pretty much solely based on the art which is crazy given how visual and medium comics obviously are but I think it's always it's usually a great line or a storytelling choice that makes such an impression that we sort of elevate it the best title of the week and the writing by Scotty Young on the Me You Love in the Dark is certainly no slouch you know it sets up a really interesting world and intriguing main character but for me, it's the art of this uh, in this issue, which is from his Middle West collaborator, Jorge Crona, him again, who pushes this title from simply good to fantastic. So the crux of this book follows Roe, an artist who has left the big city behind to find a quieter life, find some inspiration within the confines of a larger house in a smaller town. But this house has a past and it also seems to have a ghost living within it. Given the fact that the majority of this story looks to be set in an, om- an ominous looking house, you'd be forgiving for thinking we were getting a straight up horror book, but for me, based on issue one, I'd call it a supernatural book rather than a horror book, and it looks to explore themes such as creative block, mental illness, loneliness, expectations of living up to potential and the pressures that come with it. Hell, it even tackles alcoholism to a degree in a really, really subtle way. You know, I've chatted with a few regulars in store who seem to enjoy it, but they also question how quick a read it is. And to a degree, that's true. There is a lack of dialogue here, you know, certainly in comparison to something like Middle West. But for me, the devil is in the details here, and it's worth pouring over this book for a little longer and taking in the art that Corona has laid out for you. You know, it oozes personality and depth. The house feels lived in. There's there's something nostalgic about the whole thing that I love, you know, about the art, you know, the vinyl player, the blank canvas. This is not a world of music coming from iPods and people drawing on iPads. You know, there's there's a yearning here for a time when the world was maybe simpler. And I think it's also worth mentioning Jean-Francois Bellu's colours, which are so important for the book. Again, it's not all set in darkness, which for me is why it's not a straight up horror book, you know. Many of the colour choices seem romantic almost, you know, almost like a late afternoon in autumn. It's moody and inviting in places, but mysterious and threatening in others. I mean, that last page is fantastic. For me, absolutely mesmerising first issue, which I've read three or four times at this point. There's there's definitely something special I can't just quite put my finger on. You know, it's almost similar to something like The Many Deaths of Lila Starr, in that I'm just wishing we were going to be in this world for longer than the solicited five issues, so... Absolutely. This book had a real impression on me. I mean, did you, you were on this yourself, weren't you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as a, as a follow-up to Middle West in a way, you know, a spiritual successor, but a very different story. It spiritual a... successor. I see what you did there. Yeah, ooh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize. Um, but yeah, it's, it just it looks good. It feels good. Um, I'm, it just feels like we're at the start of something, you know, uh, and, and I'm really interested to see see where it goes. Really kind of gothic and 
Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the dark of the title, but there's a lot of dark in the in the art, you know, and 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 things you don't see nearly as much as things you do see. Yeah. No, I thought it was an absolute brilliant book. I mean, it already went back to second print. We 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 got second prints the number one in, which has this sort of black and white version of the the cover of uh, issue one, but. Yeah, again, it's only going to be a short run. It's solicited for five issues, but issue two, again, we'll, we might get to down the line. It was it was really great as well. So, But uh, yeah, that was my pick of the week for this week, 4th of August, and that was Me Love in the Dark, number one. How about yourself? What took it for you this week? It is a DC black label title, uh, James Tinian again, Alvaro Martinez Bueno, and it's Nice House on the Lake, number three. Uh, how do you not choose this as a as a pick of the week and in any week that it comes out, Alan? Out of pure interest, did we pick number one and number two so far? I can't remember. Can't we definitely remember. did number one. I'm not sure about two, but yeah, I'll have to yeah. I'll have to look back. So, issue one followed Ryan Kane, the artist. Uh, issue two, Rick Rick McGuin, the the pianist, uh, and and issue three follows Sam Nguyen, the reporter, all now trapped in in Walter's nice house in the lake as the the world disintegrates around them. We're sitting on about day four now and and everybody's reacting differently. You know, Rick, who seems to be in in Walter's pocket a wee bit, Walter, who may or may not be the alien behind the the destruction of the the world or the agent of the destruction of the world, uh, is, you know, is trying to counsel everybody to have dinner together and be a group and stick together. They're stuck together now. And, uh, you know, and, and Walter's done us a kindness, you know, whereas... Sam is quite the opposite. He's the reporter. His, his mind is working. He's like, what? I, you know, I can't, you know, um, I can't fathom it. So he goes exploring. Um, you know, he's he's there with his his partner, Arturo Perez, who's the acupuncturist. Uh, but he just can't sit still. He's he's really aggro, and, and he goes exploring, and he finds the force field. Or he was the one that found the the um, the the sculptures that whenever you touch them, you can see what's going on in the world outside. You know the the things that have that have happened but uh this is him he's exploring the force field exploring the area they're in you know and while the others go out in the lake he's on his own and doing his own thing and and he heads out and starts making a map of the area and and, and starts exploring and, and seeing what's going on and he discovers another building out there and uh we had talked alan about you know how there was another individual uh an 11th individual or a 10th individual wasn't it hold on now yeah a 10th and 11th individual uh called rage and initially sam had assumed that the artist who is ryan was rage uh and we talked a wee bit about that and and rage was the the painter uh but but wasn't someone who was able to come along and we find horrifically that rage is entrapped inside this building slamming the walls so you can see sam but Sam can't see or hear him inside the building, and uh, so 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 Rage, who who Sam knows and is the reason that Sam knows Walter is there, is at the nice house on the lake, but nobody nobody knows what's going on, and so the horrific mystery continues to deepen, uh, and it's just the the character plays here, the relationships, and the overall story of what the hell is going on is is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes an interesting counterpoint to obviously me loving the dark in that I was saying I'd read it three or four times to pour over the art and pour over the little intricacies of it. I think with Nice House in the Lake, you read it a couple of times because there's so much detail to it and nothing is there by accident, no. whether it's an email or whether it's, you know, the, the behind the scenes information. There's, I, I don't know if you've reached issue four yet or not. I haven't. Uh, no, I just started my September book. Can't, so go, in, can't go into details then, ended. but there's we'll, we'll certainly chat about it in the future pod but there's something in it that just seems like a really innocuous thing 
and then as you get further through the book it makes total sense and it's very much it's such a it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle or something nice house in the lake like all the information's there it's just not being spoon fed to you but it's all there Uh, i'll I'll make an admission all now you know i'm a a researcher by training uh i've i've made a spreadsheet i'll share it with you you know (laughs) of the characters their aliases their genders their ages the cluster they're from how many years ago they met Walter, how many years ago they were chosen, what the difference is, and who is their link. And so that's why I was able to quickly work out going, that is Reg, that's the painter, that's the guy that was mentioned in the first issue. So it's, uh, I, as you say, I don't think there's anything here by, by uh, that's not here by design. So I just, I just, I'm looking for the patterns and trying to figure things out yeah. where they haven't because it is that intriguing of a book. Coming soon, the unofficial companion to Nice House in the Lake by <laughs> Keith Miller. Available exclusively at Coffee and Heroes. <laughs> but yeah, great choice. I mean, again, it's another book that it's just impossible not to have as a pick of the week every single new issue because every issue adds layers. Every issue deepens the mystery. You know, the fact you get the flash forwards at the start of the book are interesting. You get, yeah, there's, there's just so much love and care has went into this book. And it's, I'm so glad it's found an audience. I mean, for us, it is a DC book, but I always look at it as an indie book just because of the style of it. I keep forgetting it's not an image book. I keep yeah. thinking it's... You just assume it is. it is. Yeah, and if it was an indie book, it would be our top pull for indie books in the store. But wow. uh, it's still lagging behind another DC title for a top DC title, but that's also Tinian and that's Batman. So Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, Nice House in the Lake, absolutely fantastic. Gorgeous looking book, gorgeously written book. Um, and yeah, tons to pour over with it as well. So... Mm. So yeah, that is going to bring an end to our 4th of August. And by this point, I venture we have covered about 40 plus books. So we're going to stick a pin in it for now. Uh, We will be back to uh, before too long, I am sure. And we will be covering the rest of the catch up from the 11th of August up until the 25th. So again, hope you guys enjoyed this and we'll look forward to chatting to you again very soon. Good night. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.